if you're uncaring, if you're unkind, if you're not asking questions about family or, oh my gosh, I really liked your haircut. Like, like just paying attention and being kind to some of these um, criteria that human beings desire. Like they're just like painfully wishing that their boss and their team, their organization cared more about them. I mean, that is just step one, my friend. Welcome to the Seismic Shift Podcast. I am delighted. That's the key word today. I am delighted to have our guest today, my friend, Dan Pontefract. And let me tell you a little bit about Dan. He is a beautiful human first. We have been able to work together for about a year now, and, and that's what I want to lead with. Dan Pontefract is a beautiful human. He hails from Canada, and so I want to really, right, absolutely. And, and on top of that, he's a best-selling author. He's written five books. The most recent book is Work Life Bloom right here, and we're going to dive into this. I love the cover. In addition, he is a true global thought leader. He has delivered over 600 keynote presentations. He's delivered four TED Talks. And he keeps getting award after award after award, whether it's a global thought leader, global guru, one of the best books out there. I mean, he's got 25 awards. But again, I think what's beautiful and what you all are going to enjoy today about Dan is he's so insightful. I mean, this guy has his finger on the pulse about work-life balance, whether that's even possible, about culture, about leaders, about what we can do to show up as humans to be the best versions of ourselves for us and to be the best versions of ourselves for our people, the culture. Culture. So let's go, Dan. Thank you so much for being on the Seismic Shift. Michelle, first of all, thank you. You had me at delighted because you know why? Why? Because your delight, your delight, you're the delight. Like, come on now. But <laughs> you're too good to me. Thank you, Dan. Okay. Is it possible? Actually, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to dive into Work Life Bloom, your book, but I do want to begin as I do with every guest and every episode since it is the Seismic Shift podcast. What seismic shifts are you seeing out there from your perspective from, from way up in Canada? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, we'll get into one of them obviously today about work-life balance, but I'll, I'll actually back end into that one by suggesting that there is some ripples out there in the sort of negative way turning into tremors. And I'm hoping for earthquakes, Michelle, and that is related to work-life balance in our organizations actually is the concept of employee engagement. And that is a seismic shift I'm beginning to see take stride, take shape, take um, take hold of the thinking of many leaders, maybe not quite yet in HR land, but is employee engagement a worthy mechanism and measurement? Because we put the word employee in front of engagement and what the heck does engagement actually mean? So I am seeing something there and then we may have to noodle on a little more, but uh, that's where... That's where some seismic shifting is going to happen. Okay. That makes complete sense because all of us in, in the world in which we work as executive coaches, leadership coaches, leadership authors, 
keynote speakers. We're all doing all of this research, right? Trying to bring out the best in humans as they show up for work. And we're looking at in, for indicators and what is the best indicator. So it sounds like you're saying one of the seismic shifts is maybe employee engagement isn't exactly what we should be measuring. Yeah, spot on, as uh, as I say from my English heritage. The, the fact of the matter is we've been... Um, with all of the best intentions, trying to find for years a way in which to measure how uh, people are performing, really, at the end of the day, in the organization. And my argument is that leading into the pandemic, and certainly as a result of the pandemic, and now post-pandemic, if we can even call it that, Michelle, uh, but what we're finding is that human beings want to be human beings. I mean, imagine that. And so why is it that we have created structures and constructs in the organization to measure half of that? So we are employees. We're team members, I would hope is a better term. We go to work. So we are a worker. But does that really define us? And are we not also individuals? And if we're individuals, aren't we working on things that are outside of the work yet we need to bring that into the workplace because of the fact that we're a human being. So I argue that, you know, rather large firms like the Gallups, the Aeons, the Blessing Whites, the so forth, when they've created, again, with the best of intentions, but now it's kind of we're proving ourselves it's a bit ironical. When we're just asking questions and measuring engagement at work, we're not asking well, what else might be happening in sort of the, quote, human being of the human being, then I think we've barking up the wrong tree, so to say. I absolutely agree. And I can't wait to dive in and learn more from you. So as I held up the book, this is just fabulous. And boy, is it timely. I can't tell you how many conversations I'm having with leaders that I coach and organizations I work with, and, and they're questioning everything. They're like, wait, is this it? Like, I don't know if, if I'm doing what I should be doing. I'm not happy. Have I lost my identity, my sense of purpose? My work-life balance is completely out of balance. I can't figure it out. I have no time for myself. As a matter of fact, Michelle, I'm miserable. I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations at the end of 2023 I'm having that are like this. So can you talk to us about is work-life balance even possible? Well, I guess first I'll say... As tough as those conversations that you're having, that I'm having, that many of our mutual friends in this space are having, I'm actually oddly happy about it. And it's because, Michelle, for decades and certainly for years, we have been sort of conditioned to put on a cloak, put on a mask, check your ego at the door of work and sort of turn into ideally for management and senior leaders and alter version of yourself for purposes of performance, for EBITDA, for holding up the bureaucracy and the power, whatever. And I, I actually love the fact that you and I are, are working with these organizations and humans with the existential crisis that is upon us. Like, is it worth it? What is it that we're missing? Is there something more? I mean, we all have a mortgage or rent to pay. We want vacation. We got groceries. We got kids. We got dogs, right? So there's all like bills to pay. But I think what's happening is that we're asking this really deep, meaningful, 
timely as you point out question or questions. What, what's it all for? And, and why are we operating the way we're operating? And so to your question, is there such a thing as work-life balance? I mean, it depends on your definition, but in terms of today and what I see and what you see, I know for sure, my friend, no, there's a there's a work-work imbalance. And as opposed to organizations and leaders purporting, you know, a value or an HR competency that we believe in work-life balance, yet not really doing the hard work of re-engineering what this work-life integration or even you know new model might be like, I, I don't think there is such a thing. And then, as you know, the data suggests uh, we're right. So anxiety is up, stress is up, sadness, madness is up, uh, isolation, loneliness is up, and the quote employee engagement scores, right, that we've been measuring for more than two decades haven't changed. So you kind of have to have, just have to ask yourself, sorry, what's the definition of insanity? Well, it's repeating the same thing over and over again with no resulting difference. I, I think that's kind of where we've landed. There's no such thing as work-life balance because data is showing that the human condition factors are on the rise in a negative way. And the fact that the measuring of the said engagement hasn't changed, it's remained in America at about 30-ish percent since the year 1999, suggests that we are actually not making any strides. So thank you for the question. The existential crisis is important, and I think we are at a, a point of reckoning. We're absolutely at a point of reckoning. I love how you framed it, sadness, madness, and, and we need to stop this insanity. And, and if the engagement scores have not gone up, despite all that we're trying to do, we've got to, I think, turn this world of work upside down. I remember a number of years ago, it was in the middle of the pandemic, and I was flying out to San Diego working with Don McGuire, the chief marketing officer at Qualcomm, and he was ready to disrupt. And he brought me in to work with them on building team connection with all these people around the world who hadn't even met in person. So in between the different variants of COVID, we brought them in to meet, and he, ha he had me you know, facilitate these workshops to build connection, to build trust, to build psychological safety and belonging so that they could then disrupt because that was the whole goal. Let's not forget the whole goal was to disrupt. And, and, and those, those workshops we did together were some of the most exhilarating times because I realized that we had to do things differently. We had to do work differently. We had to rethink as we, how we show up, how we engage. I don't even like calling it meeting management anymore or time management. It's energy management. It's interaction management. Like how do we do things life differently? So that we're not all, or not all, but so that so many of us are not burned out, stressed out, full of anxiety, depressed, lonely, disconnected. We're just seeing more and more of that. So now back to you, how do we have work-life bloom? This is your whole book. How do we bloom? Let's figure out how to blossom, how to bloom, how to thrive, not just how to survive. Because I feel like a lot of my leaders are just keeping their heads above water. How can yeah. we help people? How can we help humans bloom? Well, there's probably two branches, uh, might I suggest, that uh, I can add to the metaphor here that I love about the Qualcomm example for you. And, and one is you have a senior leader who's having that existential come to myself meeting moment where like, is this right? Like, you know, what are we doing? 
And I think leaders and particularly senior leaders have to be having these conversations. Well, what's it all worth? What's it for? Yes, we have to build slash grow revenue. Yes, there's profitability and EBITDA to uh, access and to, to achieve. But at what cost will it come if we're doing the same things over and over again? Repeat, rinse, repeat from past ways. It's, it's just not going to work. So we need more Qualcomm leaders that you've been able to work with in San Diego. It's a, just a wonderful example. And I think we do have a, our own self-fiduciary responsibility. So whether you're leading a team or not, I think you have to ask yourself, am I at my best and what factors are getting in the way, perhaps, Michelle, of me not being at my best? So it's a twofold thing. We can't, as a human being, just rely on the Qualcomm lovely senior leaders to make a change, although that's important. I think those leaders need to be doing this, as mentioned. But we do, you and I both have to have the, our own existential crisis conversation with ourselves in the mirror, with friends, with family, what have you, maybe, and just say, where am I at? And so as opposed to looking at, you know, very traditional employee engagement models, are you engaged? Are you not engaged? Are you chronically disengaged, which sounds terrible? You know, my point is actually looking at it uh, within that kind of work-life model. And if you were to imagine, you know, work on a X or a Y axis, sorry, and, and sort of life on the, the X axis at the bottom, there's certain factors that go into your work and certain factors that go into your life, you as a human being. And rather than being negative, the gardening, blooming metaphor is basically saying, okay, well, if the certain work and life factors are going pretty positive, arguably you're blooming. So maybe that's akin to engaging, but just hear me out. But what if, um, let's say, you know, uh, work is going not so well, but you feel pretty good with who you are as a human being. So it's like you're going to work, but I feel good as who I am. I argue that you're stunted, that then your organization, your leader need to be asking questions about well, what, what's getting in the way here at work. The reverse is true as well. Work sometimes can be just going so well, like you feel trusted, the strategy you understand, this place you work has a sense of purpose, but you're just not quite maybe fitting in or there's some things that you want to work on as a human being. So maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's your skills, maybe it's your well-being. So maybe you should be having conversations with your boss or others, right? Saying, well, I'm budding at work, but I'm not quite there in life. So I need a little bit more help. And then the final one, the reverse of all of that, of blooming, ultimately is, as opposed to being, gosh, I'd hate the term, like chronically disengaged or even disengaged. It's like, oh, what? He's, he or she's checked out. Well, no, actually, we're in renewal. <laughs> and just like a garden has reseeded every year, like whether it's a vegetable garden or your flower garden or, or both, that's kind of the metaphor I'm getting at. It's like, we need to do some work as human beings to help ourselves and work in life. So what do we need to break through? What nutrients do we need? What water, what sunlight, what soil, what pH balance? And then the leader, too, should be having these types of open conversations, which I know you espouse and work with and all your clients say, look, how are we just dialoguing this? So whether you're blooming in renewal, whether you're budding or stunted, it's all about a more positive framework and having open dialogue about what's getting in the way or what we need to double down on in the case of Qualcomm so that we can innovate and kind of think through uh, the model of doing it differently. Gosh, I couldn't agree with you more. And just listening to you talk, Dan, it reminds me of all of my work. You know, I believe that the seismic shift 
is one towards connection, true, meaningful connection. And you've got to first connect with yourself so that you can really show up and connect with your team. And then you have to connect with the overall company's strategic plan and vision. It's got to be aligned with your values. So that's the, that's the lens in which I see the world is through connection. And what it sounds like you're advocating for is we need to have more conversations that are a way to connect. So when I think about the difference between connection and communication, so the old school was communication was very much one way. It was more just directed. Your boss directed you, your boss gave you orders, your boss gave you the goals you had to achieve, and then you hopefully achieved them and then reported back what you did. It was very achievement oriented. And so connection is the true, it requires reciprocity. It requires a real conversation between real people where you show up as humans, you show that you care about them, not just for the work that they're delivering, but personal and professionally. And and there's got to be that give and take. And so it sounds like you're saying, let's embed more time in our calendars, schedule more interactions, more connection, where we just have those thoughtful conversations. How are you doing personally? How are you doing professionally? How can I best support you? Because when I was reading your book, I thought, gosh, we are putting a tremendous amount of responsibility on, the, on leaders these days. Again, it, it was almost, if you look back, at least on paper, easier for leaders years ago, because they just had to show up and say, okay, here's our vision. Here's our purpose. Here are your goals. Go do it. And then come back and report. And now we're saying, you've got to plant a garden. You have to make sure you're watering the garden. It's the soil is fertile. You're adding nutrients. Are your people blossoming, blooming? If they're not, here's what you need to do. I feel like we're asking a whole lot from leaders these days. Well, I mean, when you and I chatted about seismic shifting and the demarcation between connection and communication, you've been prescient and spot on uh, for a long time now. And, and that's really, I suppose, I'm double downing on you and your point. And, and the whole metaphor of gardening is that there are, um, there are elements, so soil, sun, frost, uh, you know, conditions such as, but every garden really requires a gardener. And that gardener has tools in the shed. And so the tools can help. Uh, or if you don't take them out, then seriously, you're going to have weeds. Or if you don't water, you don't use your watering can, et cetera, et cetera. So if you extend the metaphor and you say, well, what's the leader doing to connect to their own garden? Because we all have our own to tend to. But the leader has a whole patch of gardeners and others that are tending to their garden. And so... I hope that the gardener that is the leader is a bit wiser, uh, professionally sort of um, having some of the experiences that they can then implore to suggest and sort of say, hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And they're renting, lending out some of their tools from their own garden shed, so to say, maybe saying, hey, I've, I've seen this before. Here's, here's why you can get your pH balance down. Here are some things to think about. And, and that's the point of connection, not communication. Con communication is just telling people, go do this. Connection is building the rapport and, and having that time on the calendar, as you mentioned, as opposed to just the doing and executing of the profit, of the goals, of the targets. Well, when you tend to the garden of others by helping, by connecting, don't you think that when their garden blooms faster, better, more efficiently and productively, that you as the, quote, master gardener 
might win uh, more better, faster, quicker, efficiently, more productively. So the argument extends to your point. Yes, let's spend and invest uh, more of our time in the tending to the garden, the connection of others, rather than the communicate, tell them what to do, and ourselves be so busy as leaders that we don't have time to do any of that tending. Correct. And when I was looking at your six factors for work and six factors for life, I realized that that when I was trying to deconstruct connection, what does it look like, feel like, sound like? What are the dimensions? What does it mean if somebody feels connected? I've come up with five dimensions. Do your people feel seen, heard, valued, respected, appreciated? So when we're asking these leaders to have these honest conversations, you would hope that walking away from those conversations, the people feel seen, heard, valued, respected, appreciated. And there's so much alignment with what you're saying. Those factors are right about factors you need at work and then factors you need at life. And so let's talk a little bit about that. Can you bring us through that framework so that we mm-hmm. can we can learn more from you? I, I think uh, any book is really built on the back of giants like yourself. And so we are saying the same thing. And I've just basically kind of um, looked at it in a slightly different but very similar way. It's just tangential. And so you're right. Um, the factors in work, do I feel trusted? So am I trusting and trustworthy, but do I trust others? Uh, do I feel like I belong? So whether it's my identity, my age, uh, whether I'm BIPOC or not, or whether what country I come from, whatever the case may be, do I belong? Do I feel like I belong? Am I given a platform to belong? And to your point, am I valued? So am I heard? Am I appreciated? Am I recognized? Do I understand the sense of purpose of why we're here? And do I connect with it? Does my boss, my team, my organization feel that they're more than just EBITDA and profit and uh, power, if you will? Do I, do I understand where we're going? The strategy? Do I, am I asked for input? on where we're going. Is it a once a year thing? And I've sent this PDF document that says, here's the one year strategy and good luck. We'll see you next year. Like, does that mean anything to me as a human being? And then the six of the six work factors are the norms. So how we operate, are they, does it like, does it feel like friction or nails on a chalkboard? I'm eating a piece of glass. It's like terrible, right? Or is it kind of seamless and that we can collaborate, that we we have flexible work styles. So the norms are really important. So those six are exactly to your point of what, what you've brought up in your work. So we're just saying it kind of differently, but saying, hey, leaders, uh, the research says this is what people want. So maybe we can get on this. What do you think? The train to the to the seismic garden? How about that? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that a lot. You know what it occurred to me as I'm listening to myself talk about connection, I'm listening to you talk about the factors of, of being able to bloom at work. I've been trying to figure out a lot of leaders talk about trust. We need trust. You got to trust. You got to trust. But I don't believe that we as humans can automatically trust unless there's an element of kindness. And what's interesting to me is I just said, listening to what I have deconstructed connection to be and what you've deconstructed an environment that that allows people to bloom. We're not talking, though, directly, explicitly about kindness. 
So here's the uh, subtle plug, I guess. Um, Work-Life Bloom is the twin sister to its predecessor called Lead Care Win. Right. That was your other book. That was your other book. Yeah. Which means I have to now explain a little bit of that. Just bear with me. So Lead Care Win uh, is a play on words. If you want to win as a leader, you need to care about your leadership. And so the whole point of that book is what are your individual leadership criteria for you to be a caring person of others? So the whole point of that book is like looking inward and saying, well, who am I? How am I uh, injecting kindness and empathy and care into every single one of my team members' relationships that I have in different ways? So how do I share? How do I uh, help them see that they matter? And so on which then gave birth to the work-life blue model, which is the team construct. So what is it that we, I as a leader, need to be thinking about for the team and what helps each individual come to work and life with these factors that will help them, as you say, flourish, thrive, uh, and be delightful uh, to be a part of. So um, I do believe so you're care right. Is, okay, care so care more. is the foundation. Showing care, showing that you care about your people is the foundation. It really starts there. That's like bedrock zero, ground zero. It's like the first stage as you're climbing Everest and Kilimanjaro when you talk about base camps. You know, if if you're uncaring, if you're unkind, if you're not asking questions about family or, oh my gosh, so I really liked your haircut. Like, like just paying attention and being kind to some of these um, criteria that human beings desire like they're just like painfully wishing that their boss and their team their organization cared more about them i mean that is just step one my friend gosh that is so true and i think that you know when when you referenced earlier when i said gosh dan i can't tell you how many leaders you know that i'm hearing from are just at the end of the year just they're burned out and they're just not as happy and their work life balance is completely off and and yet it does go back to years and years and years in business. I feel like we demanded that people weren't human in a way. Our expectations totally. were just to not be human, but just to show up and achieve, 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 and deliver these outputs that we need you to deliver and then act like a human at home. You know, the history of this really stems from something that people colloquially will call Taylorism, as you know, but Taylorism stems from a man named Frederick Taylor or uh, Frederick Winslow Taylor, who back in sort of the early 1900s at Bethlehem Steel was uh, introducing something called the scientific principles of management, which basically a fancy way of saying this individual, uh, as they made steel, would sort of use a stopwatch and other threatening go do this ways on the assembly line to sort of improve productivity and efficiency. That same sort of stopwatch yelling at people, thou shalt uh, do this and don't ask questions model, just really scientific principles continued throughout. And then when we got into World War II and the learnings from the military kind of operational model of command and control, then packed on top of the scientific principles of management, which then led to the 1970s with, you know, everyone's friend, Uncle Milt Friedman, who said that shareholder return is the way in which we should operate these businesses. So you've got Taylorism, command and control, 
and this sort of profit at all cost three prong approach which then continued to be cemented on top of one another and we ended up where we are today still in this kind of vortex of regression the vortex of taking out the the human of the word humanity and expecting more and what's the fourth dimension that we've added the devices that we have our tablets and our phones so now you have all of that pressure and people are bringing their work with them wherever they go and they're getting texts and dms and phone calls and so forth whenever is possible because now the stakes are so high that everything needs to be done in a nanosecond and on Sunday at four and Wednesday night at midnight, it's and a global operation at that for many cases. It is unrelenting the past 120 years of these workforce dynamics. Unrelenting. You are absolutely right. When we were in London together for Thinkers 50, my biggest takeaways from being around the top thinkers in the world, I had a couple of takeaways. Number one, this technology, as you're mentioning, Dan, is not stopping. It is a train that is going to keep accelerating. So we have to figure out how to differentiate ourselves as humans and what it means to show up as human. And one of the speakers said, we have to be likable. We have to be somebody that people want to work with. So there's those soft skills again, those interpersonal dynamics are so important. And then the other thing I took away from the Dory Clarks and the Kirstens is, gosh, we have to make environments welcoming. You know, when she did the crescent versus the bagel exercise for it, we have yeah. to, we, the onus is on us. And so kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, what it means to be human, how to show up as human uh, bringing kind of radical humanity back into business because thank you for sharing, Dan, the history of how in the world we got here in this unrelenting um, mechanical model of work that now most people are miserable and are questioning their purpose and what they want to do with their lives, right? I, this is all just so fascinating. So I guess we, we wrap it up by saying it is time for radical change. It's time for radical humanity. I call it now conscious connection. We really have to show up and consciously connect and intentionally connect and embed it into our rhythm. I want people to rethink their rhythms, again, not from that old mechani um, mechanistic model of time management, which really is chronological and following like check, 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 check at the end of the day. Okay. I did everything I need to do. And I really want people to look at it from a, a life bloom model of interactions. Who are the people that I need to interact with today? How can I get the most from those interactions? Let me create an environment where they want to show up. They want to participate where I want to show up. I just think we are, you and I are calling for a rethinking of the, this new world of work to do it differently. So that we can be happier. That was a mic drop moment, Michelle. That uh, was amazing. I'll, I'll tie a bow on top of it with this. If you think about the technology and the point you were making about some lovely conversations there at Thinkers 50 in London, let's not let AI stand for artificial intelligence. Let's let it stand for as a leader, how you are, how you are altruistic and inclusive. Mm. That's what we need to be thinking about. Now that was a mic drop altruistic and inclusive. So it's not artificial intelligence. What well, is, 
and at the same time for you as a leader to show up as AI, as altruistic and inclusive. I love that. So we'll end with what piece of advice, Dan, can you give our listeners? And thank you so much, listeners, for for tuning into this podcast episode featuring Dan and Work Life Bloom. What advice can you give them? You know, be patient. Uh, this is not a light switch. You can't turn the whole thing around. And also be patient with yourself, knowing that in your past career, you will have been different personas. You might have been in renewal. You might be blooming now. You might not be in 6, 12, 18 months from now. It's okay because your work-life conditions change. You will never reach this panacea of work-life balance and you'll never be blooming all the time and it's perfectly fine. Be patient with yourself. And as the ups and downs come, just like every every year has seasons of ups and downs and different inclement weather events, It's okay. Surround yourself with people that you can talk to and talk with about your persona and and how to dig yourself out of some of these situations. Oh, I love that. I just love your thinking, Dan. And I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the Seismic Shift. And thank you all to our listeners. Tune in every other week. We have a new episode of the Seismic Shift so that we're all trying to meaningfully connect to be the best versions of ourselves and to rethink work-life balance. Take care, y'all. Thank you for joining us on The Seismic Shift. And before you go, can I ask one favor of you? Do you mind sharing today's episode with a leader you know? The power of this conversation is found in your using it and sharing it to create real connection in your life. Lastly, I'd like to thank Loyola University, New Orleans and the Terra Firma audio team for helping bring this content to life.